Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 4 today. Uh, this, is a, this is a neat chapter. It's something that we... Well, first of all, actually, the first thing that came to mind was that this is sort of like the answer to Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, like the Nazis think that they're going to be invincible, but didn't they read First Samuel chapter 4? Uh, capturing the Ark of the Lord uh, does not go so well uh, for the Philistines, but uh, getting ahead of ourselves, the very fact that this is happening is pointing to just how this is a mess here. Uh, and in this broader situation, this is the chapter where uh, Eli does finally die, and of course, that's a big problem when his sons are, as we learned earlier, good for nothings. So really, this chapter is just illustrating just what a big mess uh, the whole thing really is. It, it kind of goes from bad to worse. Uh, you also get the, the fun name Ichabod here. Uh, you know, I think famously, uh, I think that's the name that you get in uh, Sleepy Hollow, right? Uh, so we actually get to look at what that means. And it's a it's a pretty negative meaning, to say the least. So uh, re really just getting into the dire situation, which is going to require a change of some kind, as we've been talking about. Uh, lots of good stuff to look at today, getting into the story here. Joining us, our guest, returning Pastor Mark Burkholz, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. Good to have you back, brother. been enjoying uh, having more frequent conversations with you. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's always great to do some scripture with you. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, this is a, this is a neat story here. This is one where, I mean, I I think that for me, it's it's one of the, it, it's a key moment in, like the story of the Old Testament. But I think it's one that maybe probably a lot of people aren't familiar with. Right. It's not a common one in the the kids' Sunday school books and uh, Bible story books, to be sure, but. It really, as you were kind of talking about in the intro, it hits a low point. They're almost at rock bottom here before the Lord starts to uh, bring things back together with the ministry of Samuel and then leading into to, uh, the kings coming after that. Uh, it just kind of reflects what was happening in the end of Judges, where uh, again, things were looking pretty terrible. There was no king in Israel. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, and now first few chapters of Samuel, we have Eli and his sons, who are really not uh, good leaders by any stretch of the imagination, and now we have the disappearance no. of the Ark, and it's it's really uh, sets up the all that's going to happen in the next few chapters of Samuel. Right. It, it, is, uh, it is quite the contrast, too, especially coming off of um, Exodus, what we were reading before, 1 Corinthians, how you know, just at the end of Exodus, it, it's so glorious, right? You know, we, we have, wow, we have the tabernacle, we've got the priestly garments, you know, we've got the the special uh, unique incense that just smells like God, and these, I mean, like, just, you've got this fantastic vision, um, you know, which gets carried on literally into Joshua as they're just marching around, uh, you know, clobbering people left and right with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, in their midst, with God's presence in their midst, glorious, right? And then uh, Ichabod, there's no glory to be found here. It's just everything's been turned upside down. Right, and um, that that memory of, of the past is kind of probably what 
makes these people want to bring some of that back, bring the ark back, let's try to do another Jericho, let's try to uh, relive some of these glory days of, of Moses and Joshua, but of That's course right. when they try to do it their way, it just doesn't turn out right. Make Israel great again, right? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't help it. But yeah, well, that's that's the sentiment, right? And uh, well, I, I mean, it's just interesting. I think to your point that when we get really desperate for, oh, we just got to recapture the glory days, and we're going to do whatever it takes, how that can just open a well, well, Pandora's box. But let's, uh, well, we'll get into it, I'm sure. But yeah, looking looking forward to going through this with you together uh, today. As we get started, brother, would you first start us out though with a prayer? Thank you, uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your glorious presence with us here and now through your Word and through uh, through your sacraments. Uh, as we go through difficult times ourselves, help us to turn to you for for help and guidance to uh, remember your promise to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us, to learn from the examples, both good and bad, of the past as uh, we continue to seek to be your people and to uh, to share in, in the glory that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so by way of context, you know, we just came off of chapter 3, and uh, chapter 3 was concluding with uh, Samuel being the bearer of bad news to to Eli, confirming that, yes, Eli, uh, this this ongoing pattern of sin of just not doing anything to restrain your sons, uh, that that's going to come due, it, that God, you know, God's confirming that uh, your, right. your line is not going to continue. Um, and, and so that, that that's what kind of, you know, hits there. And then you do have like a little bit of hope because, you know, there's this comment about Samuel being established as a prophet, growing in stature. So that's where we kind of leave things off. And, and I guess that kind of, um, it really kind of leads into this then, because it, it's like, well, uh, yeah, God was sort of predicting that things were going to get worse before they got better. Right. It's um, There's a bit of a contrast there with how chapter 3 began, where there was no word of the Lord, and the, free, the visions were frequent. Um, and now we've got Samuel, but of course, what's what's the prophecy that Samuel's been given? You know, the the uh, death of Hophni and Phineas and uh, these this judgment from the Lord that's that's coming against them. So, you know, yes, Samuel being established is a good thing, but we've got this this prophecy of of judgment to to handle first off. Right, and um, you know, it just just remind me remind me too that that uh, that phrase there like was uh, established. I guess I'm not positive that was actually the same Hebrew word. I should have checked, but I mean that was like back in chapter one, I think, where uh, it was Elkanah who was saying to his wife, you know, well, okay, do do what seems best to you, you know, as long as the word of the Lord is established, referring to to Samuel's birth, um, and here, right, Samuel being established, right. So just those those ideas uh, connecting back to God being faithful to what He has said is going to happen and answering the prayer of his people. And, and so, yeah, it's like if Samuel's established, as you were saying, that is a, a good thing, but it also means that all the bad stuff he said is really actually going to happen. And uh, th th that seems to be exactly where we're at right here. And it shows the Lord at work through all of these events. Nothing's just random chance. Nothing is just uh, 
the 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 geopolitical struggles between two nations it's it's got at work from beginning to end throughout all this this story certainly and uh well yeah 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 let's go ahead and get into it before we uh get ahead of ourselves here um all right so here's chapter four uh from the top in the english standard version and the word of the lord came the word of samuel came to all israel now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, A god has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the, mighty, from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day, with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel forty years. Now, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, and for her pains came upon her, 
And about the time of her death, the woman, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her, hus of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Yeah, it's just, uh, it, it almost is like, I'm reminded of, um, what were those, like, those books, those children's books, Lemony Snicket's uh, A Series of Unfortunate mm -hmm. Events. Or, I mean, it's just like every bad thing that could happen uh, just happens, um, you know, and, and it's like this cascade, like, where everyone just, um, I mean, isn't this something, it's, you know, uh, there, there's like a defeat, and so we were like, okay, well, uh, let's bring in someone else. Let's tell someone else about it. And then that thing gets defeated or captured. And then let's, let's tell him, well, he's knocked over dead. And then well, let's tell her. And it's just like, it's like this uh, bad news just spreads and just kills everything it touches. I, I mean, it's really, um, it's, it's striking. I hadn't actually thought of it like this before, but it, it's kind of like the opposite of like the gospel where this is like this good news procl proclamation that like, it's like this drop, and it just spreads, and it changes things for the better. This is like this bad news proclamation, and like it's like as the news ripples out, things just start falling apart. Right. It it um it's like this cascade effect, and everything that they would look to for for hope and and strength, whether it's you know the army or the ark or Eli or his sons or even his the next next generation. It there's doesn't seem to be much hope in this passage unless you go all the way back to that first part of chapter chapter four verse one but it's like yeah you're right everything they're they're kind of de trusting on or depending on is being taken away from them yeah and i think that that idea everything they're trusting in right i mean that that that's big that's big and what what's striking too is uh the the birth of ichabod actually i mean because you know you it's interesting because Ichabod ends up getting a decent little chunk here, um, and you think, well, he's not very significant. It's just you know the baby and all this, um, but it's like it's like Moses in Exodus, where what's going on with the baby at the time is indicative of what's going on of all of Israel, right? And this this reminds me of like Isaiah, for example, you know, and the the and the virgin will uh, bear a son, and, and and like all the rest of that that prophecy being indicative of what's going on with Israel here. And so that she would be uh, comforted by the women attending her in verse 20, right? Uh, Don't be afraid. You born a son. Like, you know, hey, it's it's going to be all right. You know, at least you bore a son, right? You know, like, right. I, I feel like that's supposed to be some kind of like, your life is complete. You can die happy. Um, at least you had a son, right? Like, you, you know, yeah. like that's what we're uh, trusting in. That's what we're hoping in. But it just it doesn't console her. It doesn't actually console her, and I, I think that's 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 so key of the whole chapter. It's just, yeah, we were pinning all our hopes on a son, but that's not gonna that's not gonna do it. Right, and he would be in the priestly line. He would be one to serve there in the tabernacle before the uh, before the ark of the covenant eventually. But uh, all of that is is taken away, and um, it, it's interesting that that this. This wife is 
what she emphasizes most of all is that the ark has been captured. She says that first, and again mm-hmm. at the end, it's the, the same thing with Eli too, as he seems more concerned about the ark being gone than is his son's dying. Yeah, well, that's and that's interesting, isn't it? I because we, we we've been talking about this, you know. So this, you know, what you trust in and this potential idolatry of of children, especially of sons, in the case of of Israel. And you wonder almost, you know, if the em- the emphasis on on the ark, you know, is almost a sign of repentance here. That I mean, it's it's ironic because in the first place, right? They they go and they take the ark out there, and it's just like, well, if we have the ark, we're going to be fine. So this is, this is the you know Raiders of the Lost Ark Nazi problem, right? Like we we think <laughs> if we just get the ark, we're going to be invincible, right? And this is right. just the chapter that. You know, they they didn't have translated in German or something, and they'd lost Luther's translation. I, I don't know. You know, it's sorry, uh, plot hole. But um, you know, so it's there. They're like trusting in the ark, uh, but but there later then Eli, you know, by by emphasizing that it's the presence of God that's actually the thing that they ought to be trusting in. That almost I feel like comes off as repentance that they're realizing, oh, it it's not actually just our sons. Eli's like it's not just about Hophni and Phineas. You know, um, his his daughter in law is like actually, it's not just about me having a son; it's about having God. And in some ways, it's like it's almost like El, uh, Elkanah's line: "Am I not more to you than ten sons?" It's like almost like God has been implicitly saying that. I I, I kind of wonder what the conversation was like when the guys show up at Shiloh asking for the ark, because Eli's got to be there; he's got to be the one who gives final approval for this. Yeah, uh, he, he kind of comes across as a pretty weak figure throughout these first few chapters. But uh, if he really puts up any sort of a struggle here, or if his sons kind of take over and say, you know, come yeah. on, Dad, let's we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll we'll uh, we'll lead the charge here. Uh, so you know, if this is repentance, is this Eli's own recognition that he shouldn't have allowed this to happen in the first place, or yeah. what what kind of role he played in? giving permission to let this this happen yeah that, that's uh, that's uh, I, really, I appreciate that that's um that's not something i considered just like you know because it does say right that before he even gets the news uh what, what did it say like his heart was trembling right that was like the the, the word that used so it's like he's already uh where was it there it was in uh verse there it is 13. yeah in verse 13 right uh so you know he hasn't even gotten news right but he's just like oh man something bad's gonna happen right you know it's like you, yeah. you almost you can picture like you were suggesting like he's like oh i shouldn't have listened to them why did i let them talk me into that I, they always talk you know like you, you can you can kind of picture this that it's just one more time that he caved into his sons right and his sons yeah. got their way um you know and, and perhaps uh you know i mean again a little bit of speculation but you know like or hoffney and Phineas, like pfft, you know, prophecy, all this, you know, that, you know, we're going to die in this. No, we're going to, you know, ride in and, you know, save the day and be glorious. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course the opposite happens, but I mean, that, 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 that is a fascinating thought just to what extent, like what's going on with Eli. Cause I don't, I don't know the, the fact that he just falls over at the news of his son. Right. You, know, you almost wonder if like, again, he's just, you know, like he, he's too captivated by his own children, you know, like that like he just that he just dies when he hears the news like this. I mean, of course, he's 98. And so you can't really fault him too much. Right. 
Well, uh, let's go ahead then and just circle back around and just take it from the top, look at some of these details here um, in the very beginning. Uh, I, I do think that that, that kind of does get like the big uh, thrust of what's going on story-wise here. Uh, but so breaking it down here, uh, so yeah, I, I just, I even started misreading this because it just, <laughs> it's, it's so different. Um, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel, which is just a, a fascinating line actually, right? Like, right. Uh, like you look at it in Hebrew and it's just, you, you just imagine that this must've been something that was probably hard for even the Masoretes to say correctly. Uh, because it just reads almost exactly like all the lines, and there's like over a hundred of them in the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord came to, right. you, you know, that's the way it goes all the time. Uh, but instead, it's the word of Samuel, which um, I, I feel like is actually already tipping us off that something bad's going to happen. Right. It, 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 it does throw a bit of a wrench in things. You do have the, the word of the Lord phrase at the, uh, at the end of 21. So yeah. obviously this isn't, isn't isn't Samuel going off on his own, but uh, it is it is striking that uh, it's the word of Samuel maybe just a contrast with you know Eli and the the previous generation that that's going away now and uh, Samuel is is beginning to take over take take up the uh, the mantle that God has given to him in, in the end of chapter three. Right. It, it does, um, on, on a basic level, just kind of go back to that, that, hey, look, you know, Samuel's the one who got this prophecy. Um, the, the other side of it, though, and we, we talked about this, you know, it talks about the word of the Lord being infrequent. Um, it's talking about specifically these kinds of prophetic visions or uh, revelations that that come upon the prophet, like, and it's almost like, you know, the prophet just, it just hits so many can't do anything else except for just you know proclaim the thing right then and there um this this falling upon actually uh, that's the that's the word in hebrew right like if you go back into its etymology it goes back into this falling upon idea um and so when it's the word of samuel that falls upon israel i i, sure. I kind of want to read this as this is like the kind of full force of negative falling it's like this is like a disaster befell all of israel this isn't like, oh, hey, the word of the Lord comes to everyone now, um, but 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 taking it more in that that other sense of you now everything that has happened been decreed is going to fall on you today, um, which makes it like I feel like a really, I mean, a really like harsh irony even in verse one. Yeah, it does seem kind of ominous that um, this is this is the direction he's going to take it here. And and then uh, you know so that, so you you get this you know the setup right and then and then, you know the next line is now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and you're just like oh no <laughs> like we've we've already had the signal that that something bad's gonna happen and and now we that this is our setup here um, so you, you get the battle lines drawn uh, you know the the two sides uh, you know they camp. This is it's interesting, right? They camp at Ebenezer, and the the Philistines encamped at Aphek. You take anything from those names? Yeah, it's it's a little bit confusing because there's the, the Ebenezer that, that comes up again in chapter seven uh, after a different battle. Uh, Ebenezer means rock or stone of help, 
Uh, and in the Chapter 7 reference, it's obvious that the Lord is the one providing help. Uh, so it could be kind of an anachronism where they're applying a later name to whatever place it was at the time. But kind of geographically, this seems to be a little bit different if they're anywhere near. So Aphek is kind of up in the north, and it's showing the Philistines are expanding their territory. They're not just off in this little corner, but they are uh, pushing their way uh, north and and east into to Israel, and uh, there there's going to be the, these conflicts along the border. Uh, so uh, yeah, it is a little bit confusing with with these multiple references to Ebenezer, but it could be just a common enough name that it is at multiple places with the same same designation. Well, I think yeah, that makes a lot of sense how it could be a common name, especially when you break down the meaning of it. It could also be an anachronism, as you suggested. I think there's something kind of ironic about the, the meaning in all of this, but uh, we got to hold that thought. It's time for our break. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 4 on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. News Digest host Kip Allen. Young people in the St. Louis area have organized in opposition to abortion. St. Louis Pro-Life Future is planning a sidewalk day in front of an abortion facility in Illinois. Organizer Jacinta Florence discusses the event with me on World with Her News Digest, Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that everything is a-okay. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun in the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Ooh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. Go yuck. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 4, a fascinating chapter uh, and a tragic one, a tragic one. You know, the deaths of uh, not—I mean, actually, we had this predicted that Hophni and Phinehas would die on the same day. Uh, you actually get 
Hophni, Phineas, uh, what was it? Was it was it Hophni's or you know, it's it Phineas's uh, wife, and Eli himself, all on the you know at the same time here. It's it wouldn't have been the same day exactly because of uh, you know we we kind of assume that you know Eli got the text message right the same day. It probably wouldn't have <laughs> uh, happened like that, but <clears throat> like all around the same time, it, it's just it's a big disaster. And and Ichabod is the name. It's just the name of a baby, and the baby's not going to be necessarily so prominent, but. It's the it's the name that summarizes the whole thing, just like in Exodus, how Moses drawn up right out of the water, um, kind of was the metaphorical name for the whole of Exodus, right? Um, so Ichabod is the name of the game here. Uh, got some questions coming in on Facebook and on, over email, Facebook.com/slash AJ Espinosa. If you want to get on the live stream there, got the video and the questions that are coming in. Uh, email kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, we got some from James here we're going to take a look at in a minute. Uh, you can also give us a call if you'd like to join the conversation with me and our guest today, Pastor Mark Burkholz from Faith Lutheran Church in Oak Lawn, Illinois, 1-800-730-2727. Also, if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. So uh, we were just talking about this, uh, the names, right? Because it seems like the names are all really significant in Samuel in general. Just think about how much was uh, focused on like uh, the name Samuel and all the wordplay going on there. Um, and here you got Ebenezer and an Aphek. You know, and, and I, I'm not really positive on on affect very well. It's like you know, you know, like what what kind of meaning this may have had, and you know, Philistine or something. But um, you know, Ebenezer, you know that that's a name that we we kind of uh, more clearly know what's what's going on. That's like this. Uh, it's like a, the rock of uh, of help, right? Something like that. Like where, where, where rock is a common term for referring to God. Right, you think of uh, right. the traditional line with uh, opening a sermon, or you know, one of the several, right? You know, that we refer to God as you know our rock, and, and so you know here you have, you know, okay, here they are, they're encamped at you know their their rock of help, right? Like God's gonna help them, but yep. He doesn't, you know, and uh, I I feel like that's just kind of twisting the knife here. Uh, what what do you make of that about how? the people expected to win. They expected God to just come and hey, do what he did all over uh, Joshua, right? But it doesn't turn out that way. Right, you're, you're right. It sets it up as to, okay, well, God's going to come in and save him again. But, you know, they, they don't have any command or instruction from God to to do to operate this way, to bring the ark, and like, like he did in the case of, of Jericho. Uh, they don't pray. Uh, I think the, the most telling part of it to me is, uh, just if you watch kind of who's who's running the verbs in chapters in verse three, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Let's do this thing. Whenever the people of God say let us do this, it's usually a bad sign. Whether it's you know yeah. let us make you know gods for us and in, in with the the golden calf, and they're the ones that's, who that's are really taking initiative here. And if they were really relying on the Lord for help, they would be praying to Him. They'd be listening to Him rather than just coming up with their own plans and their own ways of, of trying to accomplish what their goals are 
that's that's really good and i hadn't um i hadn't thought about that connection but yeah in verse three when you get that you know and when the people came to the camp and um, the, the fact that you have the people there is, is even kind of significant all by itself because they had just been referred to as israel but then by referring to them as the people especially with that term that's used in hebrew um ha-ham, you know that's yeah. that's 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 a term that's usually used for the peoples, <laughs> aka the, the Gentiles. Yeah, yeah, right. The 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 heathen, <laughs> and so yeah. that's kind of indicative of how they're behaving. And like you said, like you know, this is how it's described in Exodus when the people, right, they get together and have this you know Baal festival there with the golden calf. So yeah, it, it really is indicative of it that you know even though here they are you know nominally with oh hey look you know God you know our rock of, of help you know yeah, we this is the, the cov- ark of the covenant of the Lord um, that's just that's just not the reality and it it's uh I guess the further irony right is that you know we talked about this in chapter three all this uh, you know Hineni here I am stuff you know that God is you know showing up and He's there. But he doesn't show up here, um, you know, which is just, which is just again, just so, I mean, really, really damning because it's just, hey, look, I told you guys how I would show up, you know, I've told you guys how how I want you to call in my name, you know, it's like I've told you all these things, but you just don't want to hear anymore. So, like, or I'm even let if you he take does the... show up, he's on the side of the enemies. Well, see, and isn't if, that if, interesting if, too? He, the Lord defeated us in verse verse three. If, if you can take that as being a, a true statement, you know the Lord is actually fighting against the people here. Yeah, no, it is. It's really fascinating that they say that. You know, the, so the elders, right, of Israel say, and this is like maybe like part of this uh, indication that you know Israel's kind of like waking up to this a little bit because the elders are like, hang on a second. <laughs> you know, like they, they they remember the you know their history and they're like, if if this is happening, then God's letting this happen, um, you know, which is uh, the, the big insight, right? But they, they say that, you know, why is the Lord defeated us today uh, before the Philistines? You know, which which is really something that their response would be, oh, so, I mean, this is this is uh, God's doing in judgment? Well, let's just bring his ark out, then he'll have to help us. I mean, that right there, right? I mean, like, I, th- I think you have a point about the, uh, you know, hey, let's do this, right? It's like on their own initiative— uh, but even like deeper than that, right? It's that they think that they can force God's hand. I mean, right. and that's the incredulous thing because now they're treating the Ark of the Covenant like it's a magic box, and He right. has been very consistently saying, "No, uh, faith in Me is not magic. That it doesn't work like that." Right, and it, it's it's very similar to what we see near the end of the the story of where we where we get to the Babylonian exile, where the people say, "Well, we've got the temple." Yep. You know, God would never let let his temple fall or be destroyed. Uh, once more, this kind of lucky charm, magic thinking. Um, and you're right, it's kind of forcing God to say, well, um, you know, you must do things this way. You would never allow this this to happen. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, so I mean, it's, it's, and it's really, I mean, I guess in many ways, um, I, I mean, I guess we've said this before, kind of like the default position of the human heart is polytheism. And we don't, we don't think about it that way, but I mean, that, that's where we're at. Like the, the human heart just wants to say, you know, there, there are lots of things in life that are just, you know, excellent. And they're just, they're just fantastic on their own. And I don't need to like have any kind of 
ultimate allegiance to to one thing or the other but i'll do a little bit of this i'll do a little bit of that you know the human heart's like uh i don't know what like uh in terms of worship it's a butterfly right and so you know we have this like kind of inherent polytheism which goes hand in hand with magic and this is kind of the recurring problem that we want to treat god like he's just kind of another option on the table another app on our phone uh, another thing to do uh, another slot on our calendar right and and yeah we, we treat god magically you can actually say like the, that he's just kind of like one of these things that as you were saying could be manipulated ultimately whether it's through uh having the right gold box or having the right pretty building or having the i don't know what the right kinds of uh i mean profile pick on facebook or you know lines on twitter or whatever right and if you have the right slogan or whatever it is you think you can like i don't know coax god into doing what you want Right. And, and, you know, one of my some profs would say, you know, the reason why you need more than one God is so that if one doesn't come through for you, you've got a backup. Yep. Uh, and so if, you know, the, the Ebenezer God isn't doing your thing, well, you can get the Ark of the Covenant God and even kind yep. of play games that way. And you're yep. right, you can see this in the life of the church where, you know, if the, you know, if one worship style God isn't doing the job, well, you switch to a different style worship God or you uh, just try to rearrange things till you get the results you want. Uh, and that that's the idea. I, I like the thought that it's just actually even kind of worshiping someone or something else when you're you're making that that switch to whatever mm-hmm. will give you the results you're looking for. Well, and, that, and that's I think a really key word in all this results, right? And like we have such results oriented thinking in in modern Western society, and it's really dangerous when you get results oriented thinking with God because, like you were saying, right? It's just. I mean, how often, right? I mean, this is like how all these fads happen we, that we, we think that it's like, you know, oh, it's like I, you know, learned today what shalom means, right? And so it's like, well, now that I know what shalom means, like, you know, everything's going to change or like, uh, you know, like the the four different words for, for love in Greek. It's like, now that I know that, everything's, or, or, or you know, uh, it, it came, uh, one trend in Christianity, like in the last maybe a couple of years was kind of like a, doubling down on like you know doctrine of man and woman right uh it's like hey like now that we understand this like you know true you know godly masculinity everything is going to be great and so like whatever it is right whether it's like kind of like a new uh doctrine or book or slogan or like you were saying worship style right like we keep thinking that like we found the silver bullet somewhere that's going to basically like make god like work for us and bless us and make us prosperous and, and it's just and all, it's just so it's so seductive and we're always seeking for the easiest way to do that right i mean it, the, these people yeah. it, it's easy to just walk over to shiloh grab the ark and bring it back the hard thing would be repenting the hard thing would be yeah. listening to god's word and maybe changing what's what's going on that's that's leading them to where the, the state that their nation is in but usually the kind of the quick fix the easy fix is what we gravitate towards because it's we don't want to do the hard work of of repenting and um, and changing and maybe you know accepting that maybe my plans and what I think the right. church should look like are not not what's what God has in mind. Right, yielding, um, giving up our own preferences, admitting that we've been wrong. Right, that's all the hard stuff that yep. that we don't want to do. That's that's uh, bound up in repentance, like you were saying. And so it's just it's just so easy to say, oh well, the reason why. You know, we're not being more successful or why we don't have more people in the church it's because of this and we'll, you know and, and so we just we fixate on the results but god's been fixated on the heart um, which is right. where we ought to be 
turning our attention to. So, yeah, I, I think that this really then in that way connects with us in a, in a strong way. Um, so I think then one of the questions related to this uh, about about this this polytheism, right, uh, and, and the kind of like how they're treating God, you know, as if he were just part of this pantheon, right, which is so fascinating because in verse 4, right, you know, and they brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. I think that like that big expansive way of talking about it in Hebrew is like, do you guys get how ridiculous this is? Here they are treating God, right? The Lord of hosts enthroned on the cherubim, and they're just treating him like, you know, he's their you know, their sports team mascot. And if they just, you know, bring him out, then they're going to, you know, uh, you know, clutch it on, you know, bases loaded. It's it's you know, I think there's a deliberate uh incredulity there in in putting it that way. And and that's contrasted then with the way that the Hebrews um are perceived by the Philistines. Because the Philistines, right, they say, oh, hey, uh-oh, it's their gods, plural, right? I mean, initially they say, well, it's even like a god, right, has come into the camp. So it's like, oh, their kind of big god has shown up, right? Yeah. But they, they talk about it all in the plural. So, you know, what is, what's up with this, that the Philistines are, I don't know, have, they have this takeaway that it's like, oh, that the Hebrews, it's, they, they brought their, their Hebrew pantheon now. Yeah, it, it's hard to sometimes make a little bit of sense out of there because it looks like we've got, you know, Elohim in verse 8, which can, can be kind of singular, plural. Um, but, yeah, it, it's very reminiscent of uh, the stories in, uh, like in Joshua, where the, the folks in Jericho, um, you have the conversation with Rahab, you know, where they're, yeah. they're terrified because of, they've, they've heard the report of what, what uh, what's happened here. And it's interesting that the the exodus we're you know we're a couple hundred years down the road here and people are still talking about uh the plagues and the conquest and all of that uh but it, it's almost as though the you know the philistines have a more faith in this point than the israelites do uh because yeah. they they kind of acknowledge uh they they recognize god here um and it's not not exactly I mean, they, they don't get god right but right uh, they they seem to have more reverence and fear uh, than the, the people of Israel, who are perfectly happy to go kind of carting this thing around. Yeah, and the people they they, they choose choose to do it. Eli and or Hophni and Phineas are probably the two worst people. You, you, these are people you do not want anywhere near this ark because of who they are and how they've uh, desecrated and defiled the sanctuary by their own immorality and greed and all of that. Wow, I hadn't even made that connection. I think you're right, though. It's like the Philistines are showing themselves to be better polytheists than the Israelites, because at least they have fear and reverence before the true God. I mean, they 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 treat they they think he's another god among many, but right. the Israelites are doing the same thing, treating him like a god among many. But they don't even have the reverence or the fear, right? I mean, so it's like who's nearer to God um, at this point? Which is which is a terrible thought. I think that yeah. the Philistines. Uh, with their with their polytheism, are actually like you know closer to righteousness than the Israelites here, who just like you're saying, like just you know cart the thing around like it's no big deal. Um, you know, in verse seven, so the, one of the questions was about the words that are used for for God here. So yeah, this gets into the we, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's worth looking at again here in this context. In verse seven, you have a singular verb um, with the word Elohim, which is you know, the, the plural form that 
that gets used to mean like a superlative, like almighty. So like, you know, an almighty one, a god, has come into the camp. So initially it's like, you know, hey, look, they we saw that they brought some gold thing in. So it's like they think that like another god, right, right. has been added to like their stock. Be because in this, you know, ancient warfare, it's like a it's like a thing that like if you capture their gods, right, like you think that this is going to actually help like win your side, right? Like if you capture their gods, it's like, oh, now now they've got nothing. I mean, you you, you almost treat the the idols <laughs> like they're part of your artillery like they're like they're, they're or, like, yeah, there's another like like, shell. like uh, kind of the genie in the lamp okay i've got the lamp yeah. now so the genie has to do what i say yep yeah you know ex exactly right and, and they kind of actually get that way later after this um but without without going there so okay so you know they're, they're talking about okay so another god has been added but then in verse eight you know they say these mighty gods and and so there is where okay hmm uh, now, now we're talking about something a little bit different because they're using the term right. Elohim, uh, but it's these um, and they, all plural, uh, with right. you know uh, the gods. And so it's interesting, like you were saying, on the one hand, like they've they've kind of gotten the word of mouth, uh, like you know, like Rahab and, and Jericho had about you know this this God's rep. You know, like, hey, this is the God that mopped the floor with Egypt, right? Like, holy smokes. But they're interpreting it as many gods. That it was it was these these many gods, maybe led by this guy who came in the Ark of the Covenant, but he's just one of many. Um, and like, you know, hey, look, it's just one of many and we're gonna we're gonna beat him. You know, they say, Take courage and be men, O Philistines. You know, I, I'm not sure who says it. That's that was one of their questions, like, who's saying this? Though I mean I think it's kind of suggestive, like you said on one level, it's almost as if the true God is saying this, <laughs> that, you know, like the, the, the true God's actually inspiring the Philistines to courage to say, yeah, because you know what? The Hebrews are just a bunch of polytheists and you'll be able to take them out. Yeah, there's, um, you mentioned before that that's kind of our default mode is polytheism. So yeah. I don't know if the Philistines could even wrap their mind around the, the idea of just, just having one God that, that, that's silly. So you know, why why would why would they think that way but yeah they, they, there's yeah may, maybe this is you know that the chief god is now showing up and he's got all these other gods to command uh all against them so uh you know you're right they they're they're kind of uh it's interesting they they're, they're kind of looking to them to themselves they've got they're, it's not like they're they're calling on their own gods you know dagon and any of that but uh they they kind of realize that it's up to them to um, if, if if they're going to win the battle here, they've got to get their strength up and their courage up. Well, as as you were saying, though, I mean, ultimately, in the polytheistic heart, it's always up to us, right? Because we are the ones who have to choose which god we're going to worship at a given time, which gods we're going to call on. Um, I mean, polytheism is a way of exalting the the human self to be included among the pantheon, right? So you know, take courage and be men, you know, it's, it just, it's part and parcel with this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that one of the other sides to it too is, you know, what kind of witness has Israel been giving for, uh, generations now, right? Being in, uh, the midst of the Philistines and right. after like generations of fighting now in the promised land, they think 
that the Hebrews are polytheists, right? Like, that doesn't speak well at all yeah. about how the Israelites have been living, right? Like, if, if the takeaway after generations of engaging with the Hebrews is, oh, yeah, they're polytheists, too. It's like, how have they been representing God? I mean, the whole point was that, you know, this was going to be the seed of Abraham through which all the nations are blessed, that, like, say, uh, you know, points the way well, to the if, truth. This is terrible. If you, I mean, that, that, that's the whole book of Judges, is you know, they keep turning yeah. to these other gods um, of their neighbors and all these high places, you know, even uh, you know, Gideon and his, his, his father having the... Uh, the Asherah pole and all of this stuff, it, it's got to be um, just pretty common knowledge that everybody around there is, is worshiping all these other gods. Why should why should the, the Israelites be any different? Yeah, so, I mean, it, 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 is, it does line up um, well with, with judges. Uh, one of the comments on Facebook was that, um, that, that this whole situation of just them kind of just doing their own thing lines up really well with um, the war against Benjamin in Judges 20, uh, sure. which happened earlier. So, yeah, I mean, like, all of this just—it it just feels like it's just almost like this, a continuation of Judges, um, which is striking. And, of course, that's, like, one of the, you know, questions that gets brought up in scholarship, actually. But, right. uh, yeah, so you, you have this situation where it's just it just reads like just, I don't know, just like a, a, a battle between, you know, two random— polytheistic peoples and you know they capture your gods it's like haha we got your gods and you know maybe you'll get them back later but you know right now we're we're on top and, it, and it's just it's sad that this is what this is why god's people have been reduced to uh another one of the comments on facebook was you know in verse 10 the philistines fought israel was defeated and then they fled and then it says and there was a very great slaughter um that from what we know about you know ancient uh war that like a a lot or maybe even most of the casualties would happen in the pursuit right it's like once you've actually had your lines broken down and you're just trying to get out of there you know that that's when people are actually just getting slaughtered at that point um the actual battle was just like you know who gets control of the situation so i mean it really is a it's a it's a devastating defeat but it's it's uh it's devastating just because of how low god has been brought here yeah, it's, um, remember, we, there's no king in Israel, there's no, like, standing army. These are going to be volunteers, farmers. We don't have a professional soldier corps, so uh, the Philistines are better uh, equipped technologically. They probably have more training and experience with this, and so uh, it's not a, just from a purely human standpoint, it's probably not a, a big um mystery that the the israelites are defeated and, and turn and run and when right when when they run that's that's when uh it turns into a rout and uh right. as long as they can chase you down you're you're in trouble so you know so then you know eli has the unenviable position of just sitting and waiting right which you know just think about that how we're, we're on edge like waiting for our twitter update like for five minutes you know like who knows how long just would have been sitting and waiting um how nerve-wracking that must have been um, and then, you know, as the, as the news spreads, you know, this is terrible, right, in verse 14. You don't actually hear the news first. You first hear everyone shouting and screaming and wailing, right? And then you hear the news next. So, I mean, just a terrible way to build up suspense, right? Great, great, you know, great narration, though, right, in, in the text. Um, but then, you know, they get the news, um, 
you know, and I want to like, briefly, you know, at the end here, just talk about Ichabod here, right? I mean, so this this is the name, and so let, let's break it down here. The glory has departed from Israel. That's the thing that's said uh, several times here, given as the meaning of Ichabod. So help help, help break that down. Sure. So the Hebrew word for glory is kavod. That would be the end mm-hmm. of the word there. And then the, the I at the beginning basically means there is none. It's gone. Uh, kavod is more than just what we might think of as some sort of uh, amorphous uh, praise or glory, but it has to do with the actual presence of God on earth with his people. You know, we mentioned the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus and leading them through the wilderness and being specifically located there at the ark where God would meet with his people, would uh, receive the atonement for their sins and bless them. And so by saying that the glory has departed, it's not just that they will even taken down a notch, but you know, God has left his people. We're, we're alone now. We've been abandoned is, is part of what's, what's, what's going to the name there. Well, I think, I think part of that, you got to think about this. So if, if it means, you know, gloryless, no glory here, as you were saying, uh, no presence, right? I mean, it's associated with the presence of God. It, it kind of, you could say, in some ways, means godless, in the sense of, right. like, they have no God. There, there is no God there, um, which is, I mean, I think kind of the most, the, the most damning thing about the whole thing, that Ichabod's now the name of Israel, right? Like, Israel had the name of God in their name, you know, striving with, you know, at least it was, um, you know, w- w- with God, and here it's just, well, the, the, he's just not even here. And so, yeah, I think this is, as you were saying, I, ironically, it's like pointing to the need for a king to step in with an army, but it shouldn't have come to this, right? Right. Yeah, it's, if the, the worship and everything had been going the way that it was, they wouldn't have had all these, these problems that, that continue to crop up in these first few chapters. There. All right. If, if we had acknowledged that God is king, which is ultimately right. the revelation in Christ, right? We wouldn't have had to go to this point at all. But right. thank you, brother. A lot of good things to, to break down into this story. Looking forward to having you on again real soon. Great. Thank you very much. Everybody's Pastor Mark Berhold, Berkholtz, uh, Faith, Oakland, Illinois, going on to Chapter 5. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. In cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.